It's a good morning. Great time of uh, refreshment right there. Team, thanks for leading us in that. My uh, heart needed that. Yours? Kind of a clearing of the spiritual cobwebs from a busy week and a focus on the Lord Jesus where the focus needs to be. We continue that with a pretty rare and wonderful sneak peek into a very tender relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. These are two manly men. Chris, don't get nervous. They're burly boys. But uh, they're tender and they're close and they have a strong affection for one another as they serve the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about Paul and Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, as you turn there, we're going to see a, a, a sneak peek into this uh, close tie, a personal uh, connection that they've had. Timothy's been called Paul's son in the faith. Uh, Timothy is, is a, a child of Paul, so to speak, in the faith, a, a son of Paul. And so it's very, very important that we understand that while we dig into the nuts and bolts of this so that your life and my life can be closer to the Lord through it, it's a tender, important, special letter. Special letter. And to remind us, I've got my notes on a letter. So this reminds me that, hey, there's some nuts and bolts for us to work on, but we need to keep that in focus, that this is about relationship. And really, that's what the Christian life's about, relationship with the Lord Jesus, relationship with, about, with each other. It cannot be done solo. Sorry to, to disappoint. The Christian life is not a solo sport. This is about teamwork, and so we'll look forward to that. Father, we turn to you, needing you to speak, needing you to touch our hearts, needing you to spark obedience and understanding. Father, that we would uh, learn to walk more closely with you, that you'd be honored and glorified by our light, life's being uh, charged up today, encouraged, motivated to go from here and to shine brighter and to encourage one another even more. We trust you to give the increase in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me. 1 Timothy 1. We've had some heavy doctrine to this point. Ben did a great job of laying out the law versus the glorious gospel. Now we get into the, the uh, connection relationship part. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence. I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as his prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. 
I hope we have some note takers among us. If you'd be willing to take some notes, if you would email and text me those, that would be fantastic. And so we'll get those hopefully sent out in the absence of a PowerPoint. It'd be great if we could have a, a reminder of this. But I think we're going to see three key sections. We're going to see personal encouragement. We're going to see pastoral discipleship. And we're going to see priceless warnings. Priceless warnings. First of all, there is personal encouragement here. Now, I love it that most of the time the, uh, the word for exhortation, uh, encouragement, same word. So whether we're coming along each other, putting around, an arm around each other and saying, hey, you're doing great. That's the same as coming alongside, putting an arm and saying, oh, you need to adjust. You need to improve. You need to shift. So encouragement, exhortation, same thing, same thing. Little different flavor, same thing. And so there's a lot of encouragement and a lot of exhortation to be gleaned from these verses. First of all, verse 12, he starts it perfectly. He starts it perfectly. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the starting point. Paul, maybe because of all that he's been through, understands maybe better than others, it's about gratitude. It's about gratitude. And if my heart is grateful, and thankful, that's the right starting point. We're going to learn later in this passage that we are worthy of nothing but damnation. Christ is worthy, and in his grace and in his mercy, he saved us, and he has empowered us to be children of Almighty God. we got to start with gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5 is clear. Pray always, in everything give thanks. And then a strong statement, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do we need it any clearer? This is God's will for your life. Be thankful. Be grateful. And we don't start there. We start with complaining. We start with half empty. We start with the bottom instead of the top. We start with the woe is me. We got to stop. We got to instead turn our hearts and eyes upward to the amazing riches of the grace bestowed on us, lavished on us through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where Paul starts. Why? Because he's been saved from so much. Take a listen. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. God had mercy. I pray every day, for wisdom, mercy, and God's provision. Why? Because I screw up all the time. And when you're uh, working hard, as you do too, and you're working with, with all these responsibilities, it is fearful of screwing up at the wrong time. And so I ask God to be merciful to me, to not hold against me my screw-ups, if at all possible. Sin has its consequences, and mistakes have their results. But you know what? God is merciful. He's so gracious and he doesn't hold all of those against us. He bails us out of trouble all the time. And Paul knew this and it gave him a heart of incredible gratitude. So give thanks, my brothers and sisters. Start with the attitude of gratitude and good things flow from that. Second point under personal encouragement, turn regret to renewal. Turn regret to renewal. Listen to Paul's baggage here. Listen to the guilt that Paul would have been tempted to hold on to. I persecuted his people. He stood at the feet 
or stood at the place of a murder of Stephen, a follower of Christ, and in symbolic, clear description that this is about you, Paul, this was your doing, they laid their cloaks at Saul's feet. He was a murderer. Do you think there's some guilt associated with that? Do you think there's some regret that he'd be tempted to stew on on a daily basis? I talked to a dear friend yesterday, and they teared up as they remembered regret that they had from their high school days. High school days. We are a people of imperfections, and what's hard is when we struggle, we then hold on to the guilt and the shame of that struggle. You with me on that? And if anyone had an excuse to let that slow him down, it was Paul the, Saul the murderer. But Saul is now Paul, and God was clear with Paul, buddy, it's not about you. It's not about your past. It's about my plan that I have for you, Paul. So much so that you're going to see this light. You're going to be blinded. You're going to turn from Saul to God honoring Paul. And you're going to go forward. You're going to turn that regret to renewal. Search your heart this morning. What regret, what guilt, what baggage are you holding on to? Paul would be the first to tell you it ain't worth it. There's no room for that. We're too busy, need to be too busy, honoring and serving and sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus. Turn that regret to renewal. And Paul does a fantastic job of it's there, it's part of his past. He identifies it in a God-honoring way of rejecting the evil of it, but he does not let himself wallow in the regret. He turns instead to the renewal in the Lord Jesus. Let's join him there. Even now in your heart, would you talk to the Lord would you cast those regrets on him? Would you turn those pains of the past over to him and let him wash you with the renewing love and grace through his word and through the spirit of God? He wants that for you. He wants that for me. There's no time for regret. Be renewed in the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So personal encouragement, give thanks. Turn regret to renewal. And last one, preach the gospel to your heart daily in worship. Preach the gospel to your heart daily in worship. My buddy Mike reminds me of this often. The gospel is not old news, my friends. You may have received Christ, how many years ago now, Uncle Tom? Pop? Dozens and dozens? Scores of years? And yet the gospel can be as fresh today for your life and my life as it was literally decades ago, right? Preach the gospel to your heart daily. Paul does this in verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. How many times do you think the Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? To how many different men and women, to how many different crowds of people, to how many different settings did Paul say Christ came into the world to save sinners? It was on his lips constantly. It was the central part of his ministry. But it wasn't old to him. It wasn't stale. It was fresh as yesterday. It was right there. Why? Because in gratitude, in renewal, he preached the gospel to his heart every single day. 
And then my favorite, keep reading, verse 16. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Then something special happens. Look at verse 17. Paul cannot help himself. He switches from preaching to worship. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Man, when you put an amen in the middle of your letter, you know you're ready to worship, right? The gospel was central in his heart and his mind. He was ready to not only proclaim it, but to celebrate it daily. And it overflowed in worship. What if we were men and women that each day grew so much more in the gospel that it started overflowing more and more and more and more. I memorized years ago the book of Philippians. I was so thankful I did. It worked so well that I quit memorizing. How stupid is that? <laughs> but Carlin and your team, you guys have you brought that back to our attention, and that's priceless. The more I memorize, the more those words of praise come into my thoughts and my words and my prayers. If you're a memorizer, you know that. You can't meditate on God's word without it coming into your thoughts and words and prayers. That's power. When God's living power is coming out of us regularly, that's a position of power. And that's where Paul's at. He couldn't even help himself. Stop the letter. Sorry, Timothy, not about you. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. Worship. Worship coming out of every pore of his being. Why? because the gospel was preached to his own heart every single day, and it resulted in sweet worship to his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So personal encouragement, and be encouraged this morning, brothers and sisters. Give thanks. Give thanks. Hold each other accountable to that. Christy will hold me accountable. I'll hold her and vice versa, right? We need to preach the, the attitude of gratitude to one another. We need to turn regret to renewal. Nothing slows down progress like focusing on the past. And we need to preach the gospel daily to our hearts and allow that to overflow in worship. All that from a little salutation, a little, a little brief message of closeness to his son. Yeah, it's rich, it's deep. But grab onto that. See why we need the note takers today? It's like drinking from a fire hose this morning. So we're gonna need this follow-up in writing so that we can uh, continue to think on it. Shifting, there's a lot of pastoral discipleship in these verses. The whole letter, among, uh, along with 2 Timothy, Titus, were, were written to teach pastors, to teach shepherds, to teach discipleship. That's why these letters were penned, so that instructions could be given of how to disciple one another. That's the purpose. So what lessons do we see regarding uh, pastoral discipleship. Now, this is not big P. This is not pastoral with a capital P, like it's gotta be your, your job, you gotta get paid for this gig, not at all. This is each of you. If you're a husband or if you're a wife, you're to shepherd and disciple one another. If you're a parent, I believe one of your most powerful ministries on earth is discipling, shepherding, pastoring your dear kids. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be discipling one another and encouraging one another. My heart was so full yesterday 
seeing you at Amanda's party. Why? Because the memories came rushing back of the decades, decade and almost two decades, 18 years, of you guys pouring into her life, discipling my girl. And I love seeing you bring your kids. And I love those kids going into the yard and, and uh, Allie and, and uh, all the others and, and Amanda and Julia and, and so many others discipling those young kiddos so that this pattern of discipleship is not about a certain 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. on Sunday morning. No, this is a life-sharing discipleship. I love seeing Stefan and Linda discipling their grandkiddos. That's powerful. Was that fun? That is an enormous responsibility. Enormous responsibility. We are to be disciple makers, not just seeing people saved, but training them up. So what can we learn from these verses about how to disciple one another? Well, it shouldn't shock you that I think we see clear transparency and vulnerability. Am I right? Verse 13, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me. Do you sense the transparency of teacher Paul here? He's not dwelling on his past, but he is open and transparent about what could be learned from his mistakes. If there's one thing, among others, that I love said about the great adventures, that they're real with each other. Isn't that important? Let's never slow down being real with each other. And we need to be transparent and we need to be vulnerable. I'll embarrass my brother Ben, your first message on the tongue. What Christy said to me at least three or four times was, I love how vulnerable and transparent he was. That helped me so much. That helped me so much to hear him explain some of the struggles he has with con con uh, controlling his tongue. And when Lydia stood up and said, amen. No, she didn't do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that was helpful, brother. That was helpful. We need that transparency. We need that vulnerability with each other. And again, that's not easy to do. But I believe that's woven in to this special relationship be between Paul and Timothy. I'm so blessed to have a father that continues to disciple me. And we can have uh, openness and transparency. We never see eye to eye on everything, but we can, we can come back together and, and uh, give, a, give a hug and, and be right back on track. That's so important. We've got to be real with each other. Paul was very transparent. He was very vulnerable. Secondly, I, I hinted at this, but Paul was always on pace. He was always on when it came to discipleship. Okay? This is a small greeting. This is a small special aside to Timothy. He just finished sound doctrine about the law versus the glorious gospel. He's going to get right back into some good meat and potatoes of doctrine. This is a special break, a connection between his son and the faith and himself. And yet he was still discipling. Discipleship does not require a segment of your week. Discipleship is continual throughout your week. Discipleship is not a segment of your relationship with a young man or a young lady. Discipleship is your entire relationship with each individual God brings you in contact with. And in the midst of Paul giving his instructions to Timothy of how to lead, Paul is discipling Timothy. There's an acronym used in, 
in uh, sales throughout the country. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't think it's necessarily accurate, but it's ABC, always be closing, right? We've heard of that. Others like Ernie and, and others of you would rather say always be serving or always be teaching or always be educating, right? But nonetheless, the sales mantra is always be closing. Well, we're going to hijack that and we're going to change it. We're going to be ABD, always be discipling, always be discipling. Deuteronomy 6 is beautiful. When you rise up in the morning, when you walk with your kids on the way, when you lie down to rest, you're discipling. You're teaching them the way of God. You're teaching them and instructing them. Uh, my buddy Noah and I, he's a good sport. Man, he's a good sport. Sometimes our discipleship is driving to Lowe's and buying paint so he can carry my five-gallon pail. Remember that, Noah? <laughs> Sometimes it's coming to my office late at night and working on his homework while I'm working on paperwork across the desk from him. Sometimes it's praying together and talking about the word. It's all different. Sometimes it's, there's weeks that go by before we have close to contact. That, that happens. I apologize to him two weeks or a week ago, right? But it's real life. Always be discipling. Always be discipling. Paul was, and it made a huge impact in Timothy's life, even when they were separate. The last point of pastoral discipleship that we can see clearly through this is humility. Look at verse 18 with me. Verse 18 now turns to Timothy's responsibility. We saw Paul's humility through his vulnerability and transparency. We see Timothy's humility imparted by his father in the faith, Paul. There was not much choice on this humility. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, my son, hear my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in whose battles? The Lord's battles. Were they Timothy's battles? Uh-uh. They were the Lord's battles. Okay? Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Cling to your ability. Cling to your intellect. Cling to the wonderful way with words that God... No. Cling to what? Your faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ. Humility. Humility. Pride is destructive. Pride led the second most glorious creation, or the first most glorious creation, Lucifer, the angel of light. Pride led him to forsake his calling and rebel for eternal damnation. Lucifer was one of God's most beautiful creations, if not the most beautiful creation. And he chose pride, and it wrecked him. And think of all the other things it's wrecked since. Your pride... My pride, it'll wreck us. It'll wreck the shot at turning this town up and upside down for the Lord Jesus. It'll destroy the mission field. It'll destroy the family. It'll tear apart all the incredible things that God wants to do. We need to humble ourselves. And Paul is telling Timothy here, subtly, hey buddy, you got a lot of ability. It's not about you. Humble yourself. These are not your battles. These are the Lord's battles. These are not, uh, you don't cling to your own abilities. You cling to your faith in Christ. James 4, remember that? James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in due time. Now I wanted you to remember this, so I prepared a duet. There's an old song, Uncle Tom will remember. You got, Uncle Tom got a, a look on his face like, oh boy, what's coming next? <laughs> humble thyself in the sight of the, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. That was it. 
Amy, I'm available if you. <laughs> Remember that song, Uncle Tom? That was the good old days, right? But the point was, over and over and over, this song would say simply, humble yourself. One of the most important lessons my father and grandfather taught me was humble yourself, KT. Don't wait for the Lord to humble you. Will he? Ooh, ouch. That was Paul's story. Did you know that? Paul was humbled by God. Did you know that? On the road to Damascus, on his way to murder him some Christians, Paul was knocked off his feet with a blinding light that left him blind for days, and he was not optionally brought into the kingdom of grace. He was converted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humbled. He was humbled. And I, see, I hear Paul saying, that's not the easiest way, my friends. That is not the way to come to the Lord Jesus. The way to come to the Lord Jesus and to abide in the Lord Jesus is by humbling ourselves daily, willingly acknowledging, being the first to acknowledge, Lord, these are your battles. Lord, these are your abilities. I will screw this up unless you give the strength and the increase. Now, pride is sneaky. Pride is sneaky. Pride will come in in ways you wouldn't even expect. We understand the bragging side of pride, but do we understand the insecure side of pride? I'm not good enough. I don't amount to enough. No, you're not good enough. It's not about you. Christ is good enough in you. And in a weird, twisted way, my insecurity that I'm not good enough, what is that? That's pride. Because it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus, the sovereign king. So my pride can, re can hide itself in insecurity. My pride can hide itself in being a hard, self-sufficient worker. God has designed me to ask for help. God has designed me to function as a team. And you glorify God. So many of you glorify God with your incredible capabilities and, and strength and your incredible uh, uh, desire and, and accomplishment of doing his work. Some of you do things that make me exhausted just thinking about it. I shared with Bruce and Julie, I'm a gifted relaxer. And when some of you guys are out there at 4.30 working hard and clearing the land and then coming over inside my house and, whoo, that's tiring. That's wonderful. And I so admire when you do that in humility. Then when you call up me and say, okay, now it's time to clear the land. Now it's time to fix the bathroom. Now it's time to, to help get this load to the dump, right? But my pride can get in the way of that. My pride can get in the way of picking up the phone and asking for help. My pride can get in the way of uh, me giving these cares to the Lord. First Peter says, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. What's the next verse? Casting, Casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. Pride is holding on to these worries. Pride is mulling over these mysteries and struggles in my own mind, getting more and more and more stressed about them at 5 a.m. in the morning. Humility says, that's not even my business, Father. That is your worry. That is not mine. I cast this care. Oh, it's back again. I cast it again. Oh, I'm still struggling. I cast it again. I need humility. I need to cast these cares only... When I humble myself and cast these cares on the Lord, can I accomplish God's fullest work? Christy and I talk about so often that God has gifted some among us as discerning, but fear can block 
discernment, can't it? Fear can fog the windshield of discernment so that we can't see what God would, would want. Isn't that interesting? Fear is pride. Perfect love, what does it do to fear? Casts it out. It casts out fear. Praise the Lord. Let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time, casting all our cares on him because he cares for us. So there's plenty of personal encouragement. There's pastoral discipleship instruction here. And then finally, there's priceless warnings of pride and shipwreck. There's priceless warnings. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is crystal clear. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences as a, a consciences as a result their faith has been what? Shipwrecked. Mom would tell their story. Ready? Great grandpa McGee used to pray nearly daily. Lord, protect me from shipwrecking my life. An itinerant pastor, a man of God, and his prayer was protect me from shipwrecking my life. The warning is priceless. None of us stand on our own. None of us is above the temptation of moral, spiritual shipwreck. You might think you are so strong, I am so strong, and bam, I'm hit. I give in to temptation and I shipwreck this life of God's. Proverbs speak so much of the sneaky wiles of immorality. It sneaks up on you in the street and shipwreck is behind it. We've got to be on guard. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be diligent. Your adversary prowls around. He's ready. Are we ready to stand strong? Are we on guard? There's a priceless warning there. And I like what Paul said in light of that. How are you on guard? Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. This is fascinating. The conscience, Romans 2, write that down, note keepers. Romans 2 would speak to us about the purpose of, of the conscience. The conscience is God's thermostat for whether we're yielding to the spirit or not. When it gets too hot, the thermostat goes off, the alarm goes off, and we need to heed that warning. But here's the wacky thing. Based on 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, we can sear our conscience. We can deaden our conscience. If you guys want to inflict pain on me, do it to this finger right here because it is dead. I can't feel a licking thing right there. I cut it. I electrocuted it this week when I was trying to change the outlets. I should have called Scott, I know. <laughs> it's dead. It's seared. So if you've got to poke me, if you've got to prod me, right here, please. Our conscience can get like that. We can tolerate and indulge our flesh enough to where it feels really bad, and then we do it a little more, and a little more, and I'm fine with it. I've been very blessed that I've never uh, been drunk in my life, but I'm told that it's a miserable feeling the first several times you do it, but if you keep doing it enough, it really starts to feel good. Isn't that just like sin? Isn't that just like sin? At first, I'm very guilty 
Oof, this did not sit well. Well, do it four more times and it'll feel much better, right? I can deaden my conscience. I can sear my conscience. Our culture is dead with conscience. You can walk down the street wearing literally anything you want, ladies, and no one will say a thing because the conscience of morality is dead. Men, you can fly off the handle and get angry, and as long as you don't physically do something, but verbally, you know, we are dead to sensitivity to the conscience. We've got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. I believe with prayer, I believe God can reinvigorate our conscience. I believe he can heal our conscience. How do I know this? Well, talk with a former alcoholic, right? Talk to a former alcoholic and the things that they did daily and had no problem with, then they received Christ and many, many times through the miracle of the gospel, now the conscience is instantly back in line. Now, sometimes it takes more and more rehabilitation, but God can heal the conscience. God can restore the burnt out sensitivity to sin. When we spend a little much too wasted time on my phone, uh, yeah, I'm convicted about that. Well, if I do it enough, now suddenly it's, it's pretty normal. Let's ask for God. It's a bold prayer. It's a painful prayer. Let's ask for God to renew our consciences in the areas that he sees fit. Let's ask him to renew a sensitivity to the sin that so easily ensnares us. Are we bold enough to do that? It's time. Don't turn around, your necks will hurt. But if you looked out this window like I am, there is a community out there hungry for the gospel. If there's one thing this twisted COVID lifestyle has brought us is it's brought people a hunger for true connection, a hunger for what's real and authentic. And I believe the world, the flesh, and the devil is doing everything they can to thwart us in delivering on Christ's message of hope and connection and meaningful relationship. That's not going to stop us. Are you ready? Are you ready, like Timothy, to take these instructions and get out there and see God work? These fields are ripe for harvest. Don't let KT get in the way. And put your name in there. Don't let me get in the way of this incredibly fertile ground that God would have for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was so touched. There was at least six people at the party yesterday that don't know the Lord Jesus. And to see you guys reach out to them and encourage them and connect with them was powerful. To sit in a commencement ceremony of Tri-State Christian School and to hear a young senior in high school say, the first two years I came to Tri-State, I wanted to kill myself. And I saw the love and I saw the sincerity. And the first week of my junior year at a spiritual retreat, my eyes were open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for Tri-State, I don't know where I'd be, she said. That's the power that God wants to have through your lives. But a seared conscience a prideful heart, a, an attitude of ingratitude will thwart it, will shipwreck at life. It's time. Father, we need you. In a simple, loving greeting, a message from friend to friend, from father to son, we can see so much challenge, Lord. 
Father, I believe you brought us to this passage at this time because this is your will, that this is what we need today to mobilize. This is what we need today to put pedal to the metal. And so, Lord, we humbly give ourselves to you again, asking for you to work in powerful, mighty ways. Allow us to encourage each other. Allow us to disciple each other. Allow us to warn each other. Thank you for your holy word. We praise you. And we say with Paul that we lift the name of Christ high. He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And we praise his worthy name in his own name. Amen.